Good to see you all here this morning, afternoon, whichever it is. It'll be afternoon in just a moment if it's not already. Good to see you all here. Uh, We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 in just a moment, starting in verse 41. If you want to go ahead and get a head start, turn there. Uh, Go for it. Um, If you don't have a Bible, as always, we put Bibles under the seats around you. And if you don't own a Bible, um, take that home with you. That's our free gift to you, a copy of God's Word. So we'll get started uh, in Acts 2 in just a minute. First of all, uh, let me explain to you. Um, why I'm wearing this shirt up here, because I can tell you're asking. And even a better question is, how do I get one of those awesome teal t-shirts that says kids ministry on it? Well, here's how you get one. You serve in the kids ministry. It's that easy. So I want to bring this to your attention, a sense of awareness for us as a church. Um, First of all, um, I want to say that, you know, there are seasons we go through in church. There's an ebb and flow between seasons where um, there, we've got enough folks serving to where we primarily want you serving in places of high interest, places that you're passionate about. But then there are other seasons we go through where we need all hands on deck in any particular area. And so we're in one of those seasons right now in kids ministry. I want to let you know that as a church, um, we could use all the help that we can get in our kids ministry because of the amazing work that God is doing in and through our church. And we're growing like crazy as we're going to talk about this morning even more, um, we've got a lot of kiddos filling up that building over there. And uh, all those volunteers who are wearing the Till shirts on Sunday mornings would love to have you come join that team and help serve over there. Now, before we dismiss what I just said as uh, childcare or babysitting, let me, let me say this, okay? First of all, there are a variety of roles you can serve in in kids' ministry. Okay, not everybody over there teaches. We've got teachers. We've also got worship leaders. We've got greeting people, check-in people. We've got craft people. Uh, We've got people who play games with the kids. We've got people who doctor fire ant wounds. We've got all kinds of roles over there in the kids' ministry. But more important than that, rather than thinking about kids' ministry as a place to stick our kids for an hour and a half when we come to adult service, uh, what I want to encourage you to think about is this. The next generation of leaders is over there in that building. The next generation of elders, the next generation of community group leaders, team leaders, worship leaders, that's who is in that building. And so more than childcare or working with little ones, it's truly an investment in the long-term vision of our church and what God is going to be doing through our church for years and decades to come. Okay. And so I just want to encourage you to think about that, that, you know what, kids may not be your highest passion, uh, but hopefully God's kingdom is and what he's going to be doing through our church for a long time. And so maybe you might consider serving for a six month stint or a eighth month stint or a 12 month stint just to help us get through this season. Um, Darren would love to hear from you, our kids minister. And so you could, as you heard earlier, fill out a connect card, put kids on there. You may not have any idea how God may want to use you over there, but just be open to start that conversation and hear about all the different roles that we have over there that you might want to jump in and get one of these teal, green, and brown t-shirts that look so cool. So I wanted to bring that to your attention. In addition to that, um, as we're growing, we're running out of space here, uh, which is awesome. I love that. I don't even call it a problem. It's just a, it's just a description of what God is doing here. And so um, we do three services on Sunday morning to make room for all the work that God is, is doing here. But eventually we run out of space. Right now, our marriage class, which some of you are in that class, was actually, it turned out to be twice as big as we planned. We thought 25 to 30 folks, and it's been between 50 and 60 who sign up for that class. And so because they're using every available space in the 10 o'clock hour, we don't have room to do our Connect class on Sunday morning. So we're going to move our Connect class, which is the way we do membership here, to Wednesday night, October 26th at 6.30 p.m. Okay? Now, we realize that may not work for everybody, which is okay. Let us know. Um, We're always willing to meet with you outside of that time to go through what it means to be a member here and to share more about the church to you. Um, Even if you're not sure if you want to be a member, just come and learn more. You're you're welcome to be a part of that class. Here's the good news. If you can make it to that Wednesday night, um, you get to to knock out two classes in one. We'll do it all in here uh, one time from 630 to 8 on Wednesday night, uh, October 26th at 630 p.m. And I'm just a little bit excited because I don't normally get to be involved with it when it's on Sunday mornings, but I get to teach this one. So um, come join me uh, Wednesday night, October 26, 6.30 p.m. in here uh, for Connect class. All right. And also, if you haven't put your name on the list, do that. In the Connect corner is a piece of paper says Connect class. Put your name on there just so we have the right head count uh, for that class. All right. Acts chapter 2 is where we are this morning. We're going to be picking it up in verse 41, which is where we left off last week. And so much of what we covered in the last three weeks is going to set us up to fully get where we're going this morning. Now, 
I've been somewhat transparent with every service this morning. I want to do that with you right now. So when, when I come up to preach, um, you know, if you know me well, you know I have a phobia of public speaking. So I always have to pray before I come up here so that I don't wig out when you all look at me. Um, the second part of that is you know, I pray for three things before I come up here on Sunday morning. So first of all, my prayer is hide me in the shadow of the cross, okay? I know I'm about to get on stage. There's gonna be a lot of lights on me, but dear God, let them see Jesus, not me. Okay, that's my prayer for, for you, that you wouldn't see me, but you would see the cross. Um, second of all, I pray, God, fill me with your spirit. And then third and finally, I pray, God, preach a better sermon than I can preach, okay? Now, here's why I'm sharing that with you today. I, I hope that happens every Sunday, I really do. But if there's ever a passage of scripture that we're gonna walk through that I hope God allows us to understand and receive together, it's the verses we're gonna cover today. Every time we open God's word, I hope he speaks to you individually, okay? And sometimes he says different things to different people and he challenges you maybe in a different area than somebody else. But if there's a text that we're gonna walk through together that my hope would be we would get it together, it's what we're gonna cover today. I'm just being honest with you about that, okay? And so what we're gonna do now is we're gonna see this first church come together and begin to do things together as a biblical community. So last week we saw where a, a large group of people had gathered in Jerusalem. They were curious, they were hearing these followers of Jesus speak in a language where they could understand it. We know, because we have the inside scoop, it was the Holy Spirit empowering them to do that. But these folks were getting in the streets, they were blown away, they were curious, they were baffled, what's going on here? Peter preaches, he points them to Jesus, and we're gonna see in verse 41 that about 3,000 of those folks became Christians that day. So let's pick this up in 41, we'll read through 47 and then come back and we'll talk about it. Starting in verse 41 of Acts 2. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, verse 42 is really the summary of everything that we just read. Okay, verse 42 talks about a devotion to four specific things. And then after verse 42, we get a description of what this looked like in everyday life, some of the things that were going on as these key things played out. So we're going to start in 42 and walk forward. So in verse 42, the very first phrase says, and they devoted themselves to. So first of all, who's the they? So just 40 verses before this, the they was 120 followers of Jesus, among whom the apostles, the 12 apostles were there, and you had about 120 or so Christians. They were devoted, they were praying, they were worshiping. Holy Spirit empowers them. But after one sermon, this has gone to almost 3,200 people. So this is a big they. Lots of brand new people in the faith here, 3,200 of them had, had received Christ, had been baptized, had been filled with the Holy Spirit. And so it's a big they here that we're reading about. Now, they devoted themselves. And we need to pause for just a moment. So when we think about what the word devoted means, I think for most of us, we have an image in our mind that's fairly accurate because it's something we all long for. So the idea of devotion here is this idea of strong, long-lasting, persevering commitment, okay? Not rocket science, something that we long to receive from other people, right? Devotion, right? As human beings, we love to, to feel like recipients of devotion. We long for that in our marriages, in our friendships. If you're an employer or a manager at work, you long for that at work, a sense of devotion, I can count on you. 
So that idea of devotion is being, is being projected upon this early church, and the, the primary word here is they were devoted, fully committed, strong, persevering commitment to these things. Now, why is it important for us to slow down and to point that out? Because we are submerged right now in a culture that does not devote themselves to anything. We, the American culture of today, I would describe it as a mile wide and 12 inches deep. There are so many things, right, on our calendar, so many things that we're trying to commit ourselves to that we can't commit ourselves to anything. And so this deep level of devotion, right, is somewhat foreign to us because why? It doesn't fit my schedule. I don't have enough energy to devote myself. I've got to keep all these balls in the air. If I, right, if I take a step back and drop one, I'm going to be a failure. And, and I'm on Facebook, so I see everybody else is keeping up with everything. So I've got to keep up with it too, right? And if I take time to slow down and devote myself to any one thing, I'm going to miss something on my calendar. Right? Isn't this the culture we live in? What is our primary excuse, right, as Christians? I'm too busy. A mile wide, 12 inches deep. But these folks were devoted. Now, before we get this idea that these were super human Christian devotees to Christ, we've got to look at verse 43 because verse 43 allows us to understand where this deep devotion is coming from, right? These are folks like you and I. Many of these Christians are one day old in the faith, right? They just became Christians and they're devoted. So what is it that's compelling them, driving? What's the pulse, the heartbeat behind this devotion? Verse 43 draws our attention. Verse 43 says this, that, that awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So what do we, what do we mean by awe? Well, this word awe could also translate into fear and trembling. It's the idea of being in the presence of something so mighty, so powerful that you understand who you are, right? You understand how small you are and there's a sense of reverence and respect and awe. That's what the word means. Now we gotta understand that because if we're not careful, we'll draw from this the idea that they were in awe because of these apostles, but that's not what it says. It doesn't say that they were in awe because of the mighty works, right? These folks weren't impressed by what these guys were doing. They were impressed by something else. And we find the answer to that previously in verse 37. At the end of Peter's sermon, it says what? That they were cut to the heart. You see, before this, I think they were probably curious. They were baffled by what was happening. They didn't know why, but they were being compelled together in this large crowd outside of this home where God's spirit was moving. But it was in verse 37, after proclaiming Christ from the scriptures where Peter's preaching, that they were cut to the heart. And something began to stir inside of them that had never stirred before. A sense of fear, awe, reverence for a holy and majestic God. And see, the idea here isn't that they were in awe because of the signs and the wonders of the apostles. Matter of fact, I would say it's the other way around. Many signs and wonders were being done because they were compelled, right? Consistently filled with awe and reverence for who God was and what he was doing. And this awe was driving their devotion. Right? How, do you, how do you become a devoted church? Well, maybe we need to do a retreat or a conference and call it how to become a devoted Christian. No. We need to become acutely aware of the presence of God. We need to be consistently overwhelmed by the great privilege it is that a holy God would make a way for unholy folks like us to stand in his presence. This early church was consumed with and overwhelmed with the majestic holy presence of God. And that awe was driving their devotion Many signs and wonders were happening through the apostles. Why? Because they were filled with awe. And so this awe was driving this deep devotion. Now, we're going to look at the four things they were devoted to in the rest of verse 42. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now, this is in the original language. It's easy to see that there's an equal emphasis being placed on all four of these different things. The word the out in front of it in English lets us know this. 
This is a very specific list of things that these folks were devoted to. The first thing up is the apostles' teachings. So what does it mean to be devoted to the apostles' teachings? Well, here's the great thing. In context of Acts 2, we just got to watch and listen to an apostle teach, right? Peter, one of the apostles, just stood up and preached. So what was Peter preaching? He was drawing from the Old Testament to do what? To preach Christ. He was drawing from the scriptures, from the word of God, to point anybody that would listen to Jesus. So we know what the apostles were teaching. And we look at the rest of the New Testament over and over again. Teaching is a part of what the church was doing. Well, just starting back in Matthew 28, when Jesus says, hey guys, he draws his disciples in and says, here's here's your mission. Go make disciples of the nations. And here's how you're going to do that. Baptizing them and teaching. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. We know 1 Timothy 3, verse 2. What? The, The elders, one of the requirements of being an elder in a church is that you're able to teach. Titus chapter 2, Paul tells Titus, a young pastor, hey, here's here's your responsibility. You devote yourself and you teach sound doctrine, Titus. And then I want you to encourage the mature men in your church to disciple and teach the younger men in the faith how to become more like Christ. And then I want you to encourage the mature women of the faith in your church to do what? To disciple and to teach the younger women to be more like Christ. So we know that teaching is a significant component in the church. Ephesians 4, Paul says that part of how we're going to grow as a church is by those who are gifted to teach, which Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the teaching gift. Those who are gifted to teach, use that gift to equip believers, right? To do what? To become more like Christ. What are we teaching? Right? What, 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 what are we teaching? The apostles teaching the word of God. See, at this point in church history, the New Testament hadn't been put together yet. Most of it hadn't been written yet. So what were they standing on? The Old Testament. Jesus told them in Luke 24, use the Old Testament to preach and teach about me. So what did Peter do? He used Joel. He used the the, the writings of David and the Psalms to do what? To point to Christ. This is what the apostles were teaching. The word of God drove their ministry. The word of God drives our ministry here as a church. So when you come on Sunday morning, we're going to sing, we're going to pray, we're going to do a lot of things together. But what we're going to do for sure is we're going to open God's word together. And we're going to go through it, sometimes word by word, verse by verse, right? Because the most powerful word you could hear this morning is not the handshake and the greeting you got when you walked in or something funny I might say or the most powerful thing you could hear is the word of God. The word of God drives our community group ministry. What do we do in community groups? We get together, we talk about how the word of God applies to our daily lives. What we do in men's and women's ministry, the word of God. We're going through 1 Peter right now in men's ministry and women's ministry, word-driven ministry. You want to be challenged in the word of God? Show up at an Awana on a Wednesday night and, 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 and watch our young kiddos in the other building memorizing the word of God, hiding it in their hearts, learning to cherish the word of God. I am blown away. My boys are coming home from Awana saying, Dad, let me tell, let me tell you, um, how about Psalm 147, verse 10? And they're like, and then they'll say it. And like, Did I get it right? I'm like, I don't know. I got to look it up. I don't have that one memorized. <laughs> Just over and over again, my boys are learning the word of God and it's driving our kids' ministry. Right? If we're going to be the church God has called us to be, the word of God has to drive our ministry, however we organize it, on a daily and weekly basis. And these folks were devoted. The biblical community is devoted to biblical teaching. Devoted to biblical teaching. Trust me, you don't want to hear what I have to say. I, I'm not even a good inspirational speaker. I'm not even good at making people laugh. You don't want to hear what I have to say. You need to hear from God. And the only way that happens is we open his word. All right. Next thing that they were devoted to was the fellowship. This is the Greek word koinonia. may be familiar with this word. You may not be fully aware what this word means, though. So we translate koinonia into a couple of different English words. The first one is fellowship, okay? So we we have a general idea what fellowship means, right? It's doing something together, right? We come together. We're swapping potato salad recipes. We're we're spending time, right? Something together, and we call it a fellowship. 
But the word, it's a beautiful word, actually, and it has such a rich and deep meaning. So in addition to just coming together, it implies a lot about how we come together. And so part of what koinonia describes is a sense of intimacy in our relationship with one another. Now think about that. We typically only use that word like in marriages to describe that relationship, but that word's being applied to the way we interact with one another in Christ. So I, I said earlier, you know, I think we, each one of us has an idea of what devotion is because we all long for it, right? We love receiving devotion in our marriages, right? To have another person say, listen, we may be going through a rough spell. Things may be hard right now, but here's the thing. I'm not going anywhere, right? We long for that, to hear that from another person. In our friendships, say, you know, those moments where I'm just being a jerk and selfish and, right, and you're not having it, but at the end of the day, you're saying, but here's the thing. I'm not going anywhere. We're going to work through this. Like, I'm not leaving. I don't like you right now, but I'm not going anywhere. We love that sense of devotion, And so what's being described here in that word fellowship is this intimate relationship that we have with one another, that even in the church, right, we would be devoted to one another in that way to say, listen, sink or swim, rain or shine, victory and in suffering, even when you're being a jerk, even when maybe you're being a little selfish, here's the thing, I don't like it, but I'm not going anywhere. I am deeply devoted to our koinonia. I'm deeply devoted to this thing we call fellowship. Well, in a practical sense, this word koinonia also gets defined as a contribution or a financial gift. There's two different places in the New Testament, once in Romans and once in 2 Corinthians, where it gets translated into contribution. So even coming together and bringing a financial gift together is part of our koinonia relationship with one another. Think about that. So my giving is less about me. And it's partly about me and God, me trusting God, me obeying God, but it's, it's less about me and it's more about us. Now think about that. So it doesn't matter, you know, whether my amount looks like your amount, we're throwing in together, right? And we're gonna see this play out in the scripture. To be the koinonia means we bring a common gift together. And it's one of the reasons why um, at Solid Rock, we do offering the way we do it. Um, we don't pass the plate and it's not because we, Um, think that churches do it that way are wrong or unbiblical, but for us, we want our giving to be part of our worship, right? We want it to be something both personal and corporate. That's why we we say, hey, at any time in our services, you know, I'll just paint a picture for you of what our hope would be. Either you as an individual or you as a family, before you take your gift to one of the brown boxes or whether you give, maybe you give online, however you do that, that you would spend some time in worship. You spend some time in just gratitude before the Lord saying, God, I'm I'm not doing this flippantly. I'm not doing it at arbitrary commitment. I'm throwing in with all the rest of these believers. We're giving out of gratitude. We're giving because we we love you. We're giving because we have joy right now. And so it's just a beautiful portrait when I I see, I stand in the back a lot of times, a couple or an individual before they go to the brown boxes, just spend some time praying together, stopping. Sometimes you'll see a couple just bow and pray together at the box. And it's like, this is awesome. This is what it's supposed to be, right? We're not just fundraising here. We're throwing in together. We're a koinonia, we're a fellowship and we're bringing a common offering together, a common contribution. Even our songs are an expression of this. Right? When we sing together, we're, we're singing what we believe. We're singing the deep theology that we've staked our lives upon, and we're singing it. I don't care how good you sing. The people who sing good will cover it up. Sing at the top of your lungs. Why? Because we're bringing together this common gift of worship. Say, we're all in, God. We're all in. So a biblical community is devoted to the fellowship. The fellowship. And verses 43 through 47 are going to describe what this looks like, okay? So we haven't even got to talk about what they were doing yet. Let's look at what they were doing. In verse 44, we read that all who believed were together. So of all the things they had in common, first and foremost was a common faith in Jesus, right? All who believed were together. They had a common faith in Jesus. Not only that, they had a common time and place for meeting together. Um, It's become quite popular in our day and time to say, you know what, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus, but I don't need the church. Well, it's hard to obey Jesus without being part of a church. You want to be a part of this one, but finding the local body that God's calling you to be a part of is part of you following Jesus, right? So I can't be the church by myself. 
I can worship by myself. I can pray by myself. I can read his word by myself. I can speak to God. I can hear from God by myself. I don't need you for that. But to be the church, I need you. And so these folks had a a common place that they got together at the same time, same place, a common time and place for meeting together. It says it this way, that they had all things in common. And then in verse 46, day by day, attending the temple, which was their corporate weekly service, and then breaking bread in their homes, which was happening all the time. They had to be together, same place, same time to be the church. Not only did they have a common time and place, there was a common generosity You notice how he's not just calling out a few generous people in the church saying, hey, there were a few generous people here who sacrificially and generously gave to meet needs. It starts this way in verse 44, all the believers were together and they had all things in common. They, who's the they? All 3,200 of them were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, there were certain people who tend to be more generous than others. But what's being described here is kind of a wholesale description of those who had received Christ. That if we truly have become set free from our sin and from, you know, from, this, from the shame and all the things that Jesus has set us free from, that our hearts then, because we're free, will be overwhelmed with gratitude and generosity such that, right, just a natural outpouring of that will be what? Sacrificial giving. We're gonna see it play out in Acts 4. They were doing the same thing and they were bringing it. They were laying at the apostles' feet saying, hey, use it to meet the needs of the ministry wherever they need to be met. This beautiful display. Now, that cuts against the grain of the American mindset, doesn't it? Because these things are mine. This is my money. Nobody tells me to give my money. I'll decide if I wanna give my money or not. I don't want the church. I don't want anybody else saying, give me money. Okay, it's between you and God, his word. But over and over again, we get this beautiful description that those who have received Christ have a different mindset. What's mine is actually yours. It all comes from God. You need something? Hey, I'm ready. Why? Because it's not actually mine. I've just been called the steward of this. God's called me to manage these resources, whether it's, hey, you need to borrow a lawnmower to mow your grass? It's not really my lawnmower. God just gave it to me and I'm stewarding it, managing it. And yeah, here, use my lawnmower. You need a car? Here's a car. Some finances, here's some finances. See, there's this sense of just readiness to be sacrificially generous for those who are in Christ. It was this natural outpouring. They hadn't had a lesson on it yet. Nowhere in Peter's sermon did he say, oh, and by the way, you gotta give money to the church, right? It was just happening out of their generous and glad hearts. Not only did they have a common generosity, they had a common rhythm of life. I wanna spend a minute here, a common rhythm of life. Now, So we talked about being a mile wide and a foot deep earlier, right? And so in order to manage that kind of schedule, the kind of schedule you probably have, you have to create rhythms, routines, right? And if something gets messed up in your rhythm, right, the whole thing comes crumbling down. And so so my inability and unwillingness to interact with you and, and on a daily basis and to share life with you, right, the excuse is I'm too busy. What I'm saying is this. I have this rhythm for my life and this schedule I'm trying to maintain. And if you're willing to sync up your life with mine, then we can be friends, right? But don't ask me to change my routine and schedule to meet yours because I'll drop all this stuff and it, well, it won't happen. But do you see what's happening just so beautifully and inerrantly in this biblical community? They were syncing up the rhythms of their life together. I love the description here twice in this passage, day by day, right? This sense of saying, hey, you know, we're, we're gonna have lunch today. It's part of our rhythm. You're gonna have, probably have lunch today. Let's have lunch together. See what's happening in the text? Just lining up their lives, spending time with one another. I would love, 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 love for us to become a culture that just comes to church on Sunday ready to go eat lunch with somebody afterwards. This was a church that didn't have to be coached in that, but in our day and time with the busyness, right? We've gotta be intentional about that. I mean, we're already got a roast in the crock pot with some veggies in there. We're not gonna finish it. Why don't you come eat lunch with us? Right, we're already gonna go out to eat at Joe's Pasta. Come eat some lasagna with us. Wow, we don't have a lot of money this week. And so, hey, you know what? We don't either. Hey, let's throw in what little bit of food we got in our pantry with what you've got in your fridge. Let's make a meal and share it together. Right, see, they were willingly syncing up the rhythms of their life to be a biblical community. They had a common rhythm for life that's described here as day by day. 
they attended the temple together and they broke bread in their homes together. Not only did they have a common rhythm, they had a common joy. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. What was the common joy they had? The common joy was Jesus. The common joy was the fact that each one of these individual believers by faith had encountered the holiness of God through the sacrificial death of Jesus. Every one of these believers had been loved well by God. God's grace had poured out on them richly. How could they not be glad? Church, if we have received the grace of God, how could we not be glad? Right? There's this consistent, perpetual awareness of the holiness of God and the grace that they had received to such that Luke describes, oh man, the only way I can describe the emotional atmosphere of this group of Christians is they were glad. Glad and generous. And they had a common heart for worship, praising God and having favor with all the people. I love this idea that they had this common heart for worship. Um, because you see, when we come together on Sunday mornings, more often than not, this is not where we make ministry happen. This is where we celebrate the ministry that's already happening. Think about that. We come together and sing. We're not just trying to make things happen. We're actually coming together to sing to celebrate something, right? The work that God has already been doing in Monday through Saturday life, day in, day out. Healing brokenness, restoring marriages, breaking bondage of addictions, all the day in, day out stuff that happens in our lives that God is doing. We come together and we stand to sing together. We're celebrating, aren't we? Aren't we celebrating together? We're not trying to conjure up a movement of God. We're celebrating the movement of God that's already happening. Right? We're, we're stepping into an awareness of saying God is so good to us. And there's a common heart of worship in a biblical community. The next thing is this. It's mentioned is the breaking of bread. Uh, theologians disagree on whether or not this is referring to communion specifically or just getting together to have lunch, okay? And here's what makes it difficult. Um, for most of the folks in the early church, they often did both together, okay? This is what happens when Jesus is celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples, and then what happens? They break over into communion. He just grabs a loaf of bread and says, oh, by the way, while we're here, breaks the bread, right? This take and eat each of you. This bread symbolizes my body that be broken for you. While we're here and we've got a cup passing around here, go ahead and take from the cup. This cup symbolizes what? The blood of the new covenant that we poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. And this is how the early church often celebrated communion as part of their meal together. And so for me, it's not which one was it. It's probably both and most times. Getting together, not just sharing a meal together, but even worshiping in as a part of their meal by celebrating communion as they ate together in one another's homes. They were devoted to breaking of bread. And the next thing that's mentioned here is prayer. And this is a significant part of the DNA of the early church. In the book of Acts, prayer is mentioned and examples are given 31 times in 28 chapters of the book of Acts. Okay? Now, prayer is mentioned all throughout the Bible. But for, for whatever reason, in the narrative of the unfolding of the church, Luke wants us to know that, that prayer was interwoven into everything that they did. So throughout the book of Acts, we're going to see, at times, individuals praying. We see individuals interacting with God. We're going to see small groups of believers praying. We're going to see a couple guys in prison praying. We're also going to, we're going to see and we're going to sense the church praying together as a whole, getting together and praying over uh, these missionaries that are going out. And so we know that prayer was part of their personal life, but it was also part of their corporate worship experience. So we, we deeply desire um, to become a praying church. And why am I saying become? Because I think we already are, but I don't think we're there yet. Because prayer, it invokes this idea of deep dependency on God and God alone. It's a way of saying, God, unless you move, we don't move. And unless you work, we don't work. Unless you come and do something, there's nothing else to be done. Prayer is how we come before the Lord, we petition, we lay things down, we acknowledge his presence in our lives. We say, oh, dear God, we're primarily here for you, not us. I love how we incorporate prayer in our services and you know, just letting you in on why we do what we do here. Early on in our services, when we get together, we do a time of just personal prayer. We give you an opportunity to pray first personally, to really kind of block out the distractions, right? To, to hone in your focus and to say, God, here's my heart, speak to me today. 
And almost every Sunday, we'll ask you to pray for somebody else because there might be somebody across the room that God puts on your heart, somebody who, who needs to be prayed for. You never know, you might be that person one day. Somebody's praying for you across the room. Say, God, please just speak to that person too. Every Sunday morning we get up here before we open the word of God, we have one of our elders come up and lead us corporately in prayer. At the end of the sermon, I lead you and give you an opportunity again to respond to God's word and his spirit moving in you and to pray. We have prayer partners at the back and they have lanyards on. Folks, they love to pray. They're here for you today as they are every Sunday. Little prayer partner lanyard on their neck and they just love to get the opportunity just to pray over you. The end of our services, after we dismiss, our prayer partners come down here to the front just in case God's still doing something and you need somebody, they're here for you. We want prayer to be more than just the, the bookends of our meetings, what we do to get a meeting started or to close out a service. Prayer has to be a part of everything that we do. And this early church was devoted to praying together, committed to praying together. Now, I love the end of verse 47. Verse 47 closely connects us back to verse 41. Now here's why verse 41 and verse 47 are so important. If we just stop right here and don't go any further, what we've just described is a cult. What? Yeah, a cult. Folks who were devoted to one another with some type of barrier or defining line between themselves and, and other people and they've kind of barred the doors, right? They've assembled together, nobody gets in, nobody gets out. But what verse 47 does, connected to verse 41, it reminds us that what God was doing in the church, he also desired to do through the church. And so when a church commits itself to these, these biblical principles, here's what's a nat what happens naturally. There's an outpouring of mission, living the mission in our everyday lives. Look at 47 with me. This is the end of verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. So if we put this in the context of one chapter of scripture, Acts 2, there's 120 or so believers at the beginning. We get to verse 41, Luke says, about 3,000 became Christians, so we're at about 3,200. We get to verse 47 and we've kind of lost count. And Luke just says, here's what you need to hear. I mean, every day the number was changing. Day by day, the Lord was adding to their number. Why? Because they weren't a cult, they weren't keeping it all to themselves. There was this natural mission pouring out of their lives. And I love this, those who were being saved, were being added to their number week by week, Sunday by Sunday, day by day. The mission was a natural outpouring of their everyday lives. Now, we spent a lot of time as a church, our elder body, um, our staff, our leadership team, years pouring over our, our mission and our vision as a church and what God's calling us to be and who God is calling us to be. We spent a whole year, 2014, specifically looking at our vision statement that it might guide us to be the church God is calling us to be. Our vision for our church is this, that we're making disciples for Jesus through growing together, or no, 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 gathering together in worship, growing together in community, and living the mission in your everyday lives. We say it almost every Sunday. What we want you to see is we didn't pull this out of thin air. Okay? We didn't just right, come up with this because we went to How to Create a Vision Conference. This came after weeks, months, years of just pouring ourselves out over the scripture of God saying, God, who are you calling Solid Rock to be? In text just like this, asking God, who do you want us to be? And I'm gonna take a minute this morning just to kind of paint a picture for you of how we see this happening for us as a church here in West Fort Worth. I'm gonna start with the image of, that uh, symbolizes your neighborhood, Okay. So regardless of where you live, whether you live in a busy, tight-knit subdivision community, or maybe you live further out west in kind of a rural area with acreage or space between you and your houses, everybody in this church has been placed geographically somewhere in some sense of neighborhood, right? People around you. In addition to that, beyond geographically, you encounter people at work, so there's all these people in your life who you encounter. So that image reflects the people in your life who God has placed in your life for you to engage in. Neighbors, coworkers, family members, friends, the guy across the street. So what God's calling us to do is to invest and invite. Now we put those words together on purpose. 
If we just put the word invite on there, you could just run around your neighborhood and put door hangers on every doorknob and then go home and feel like you've lived the mission. But living the mission requires investment, doesn't it? It requires when I am outside and I see my neighbor mowing his grass, like I stop what I'm doing and I go over and introduce myself and say, hey, my name is Jason. Nice to meet you. Awesome. It's hot out here today. It is. Would you like a bottle of water? Sure. Here you go. I've got a neighbor in my neighborhood who's so good at this. If he catches me mowing, he brings me something to drink. Just intentionally, right? Stopping what he's doing, goes back in the house and brings me a bottle of water. I love this about him. Now, but here's the thing. This doesn't just happen. You've got to be intentional. You've got to be willing to stop what you're doing and invest. It might be you notice that there seems to be a single mom with kiddos and her grass doesn't get mowed until it becomes baling hay. So maybe you go over and introduce yourself and say, hey, uh, just notice that, you know, maybe you could use some help. Hey, normally when I mow the grass, I've got extra time on my hands. Could I come mow your grass too while I mow my grass? You just make an offer. That might, that might be the one, like, spark of hope this poor, struggling, busy, right, overwhelmed mom needs. Just a tangible expression of love. You know, yesterday, um, several folks from our church went out into the community to just serve, wash windows, pick up trash, pick weeds out of flower beds. Like, but here's what I want you to hear. Like, when we truly become the church God is calling us to be, this will just be part of our everyday routine. <laughs> Living this mission, we'll be constantly looking for opportunities to invest, right? Maybe it's a coworker. And you just pick up on something going on that's just not right. Take some time. Hey, can we go to lunch today? People aren't offended when you say, hey, I just noticed you don't look like yourself today. Is everything okay? That's not an offensive thing. Take time to invest. So if we do this, here's what we hope happens, that folks will become part of our corporate worship gatherings. Okay? It's why we do three services right now. If we assigned seats, we could get everybody packed into two services we'd have to assign seats to make that happen, right? Just perfectly balanced. But we don't, we do three services, why? Because we wanna create room for you to invest and to invite folks. That's why there are seats empty around you. So our hope is that they would become, become part of our corporate gathering and worship. But see, that alone is not fulfilling what we've just read about, is it? We need to invite them to go deeper in relationship with us. And so our hope would be that they become part of the biblical community here and grow with us in Christ as we grow together in community. But even then, right, we're still not done. Because why? Because Jesus has actually called them to do more than just become a part of the community. If we stay here, that's a cult. We've got to get outside of these doors and love on people, right? We've got to get outside these doors and take the message of Christ. And so ultimately what we're hoping is that they too will begin living the mission. Here's what happens. And then all of a sudden they become the ones engaging those who don't know Christ, investing and inviting. You see this? This has been going on since Acts chapter 2. And we're not saying that every church has to do it like we're doing it, but this is how God has called us to live this mission in the neighborhoods and in the relationships in our, of our lives, to live intentionally, investing, inviting, leading people to Christ and to community to ultimately live the mission. Let me just drop the four things we just learned about from Acts 2 into this imagery. So in our corporate gathering together, biblical teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. If we commit ourselves to these things, when we get together in community, like the early church, guess what's going to happen? These things are going to naturally become part of what we do in community. Whether you're at a community group meeting or you're just having lunch with a few other believers from this church, right? What's going to happen? The apostles' teachings are going to come up. A commitment to God's word is going to come up. Praying for one another. Sharing fellowship with one another. And if we bring these things into community, the natural outpouring will be living the mission. That's what we saw, right? We just saw in Acts chapter two, verse 41 through 47. That's what took place. And this is who we are striving to become as a church. Now, here's my prayer for us today. I know, I know the rat race that you're in. I'm married and I have two boys, both in schools, playing athletics, all those kinds of things, right? So I understand, I feel like as as much as you do, the mile-wide, foot-deep paradigm that we're all submerged in. Th this isn't going to happen accidentally, okay? These folks encountered something that caused them to shift their whole paradigm. Their values shifted, their priorities shifted, and they very intentionally began to sync up their lives in a different rhythm. This isn't going to happen accidentally, okay? But here's my prayer for us, that we could become a people so deeply rooted in Christ that an awe and a sense of just 
overwhelming reverence for who he is in our lives would drive us into a deep level of devotion that we would be willing to cut out some things in our life. Regardless of what everybody else seems to be doing on Facebook and social media and Instagram, we go, you know what? We're gonna, rather than being a mile wide and a foot deep, let's bring it in. What if we were just 10 feet wide and 1,000 foot deep? What if we begin to take time to press into things that really matter? Relationships, investing in the lives of believers, investing in the lives of those in your family, investing in the lives of non-believers. What if we took time, what if we intentionally asked God to shift our paradigm of how we see life? And rather than just becoming right, a part of the whirlwind of our culture, what if we lived all together different? What if we said no sometimes to things going on? Hey, did you know it's okay um, to, to say no to your kids playing sports? Some of you need to hear that. It's okay. It doesn't make you an ungodly parent. Hallie and I were discipled by couples who lived their best about biblical community. And we were told, we were encouraged this, don't, just don't let your boys play um, sports at the same time in terms of like extracurricular activities. You know how unpopular that was? What? Yeah, you just pick your favorite and let him play. No. <laughs> you, you set up your routine creatively. You say, you know what? We only have time in our schedule for, right? And then you... You stick to that schedule. You budget your time like you budget your money. And there are times, right now is one of those times where only one of our kiddos is getting to play sports. Now, I'm not saying we're the model family by any means, but I am saying this. In order to be a biblical community and to live deeper and more narrow, you're going to have to learn how to say no to things. Right? You're going to have to know, figure out how to be very intentional with the time that you're investing and spending. If you are playing sports, make that part of the mission. Get to know the other parents on the bleachers. Offer to say, hey, if uh, you ever, I noticed y'all weren't at practice Tuesday. If your kiddo ever needs to ride hall riders, here's my number. I'll be glad to come by and pick him up or her up and drop him or her off. Invest, right? Take time to go deeper in the things that you're doing. And that is gonna mean that you're gonna have to say no to some things, but here's, you're gonna start to love the things you are doing even more. When the things that you're already doing become deeper, the relationships that you're in become deeper, your devotion in the Lord becomes deeper. Does that sound appealing to anybody? Well, that's my prayer for us as a church. That the community around us would see in us a deep devotion to Christ that plays out practically in our lives. Let's pray together. I'm gonna invite our worship team to come back up. As they get ready to lead us in, in singing and worship, um, I just want to encourage you to spend just some, some time this morning and maybe personal inventory. Think about the resources that God has blessed you with, your finances, your, your energy, your time. Think about all those key relationships that God has placed in your life. And I just want you to ask yourself maybe just one question to start. Ask yourself this question, am I being intentional with these things? Am I just juggling life, being flippant, going from one commitment to another, or am I truly being intentional with these things? And so maybe this morning somewhere in the scriptures we read, God challenged you. He may have pointed out something just about your relationship with him in an area where you need to become more devoted and so maybe that's what you need to pray about now as we go into a time of reflection and prayer. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want you to know something. Just like these early Christians, what makes you a Christian is simply responding in faith to the good news that Jesus is the son of God and he's died for your sins. And so right now, God is, is presenting to you an invitation not to become part of an organization or a secret society or some kind of religious cult, but God is inviting you to become part of his family. This idea of being in a fellowship, it, it paints this beautiful portrait, like a family portrait. And what God is saying is, I'm calling you to be a part of my family portrait. And today God is offering you a relationship with him for free by simply believing. If that's you today, I'm gonna invite you to do something courageous. When we stand to sing in a minute, would you go grab one of our prayer partners and say, today I wanna become a Christian?
Let them share more with you about what it means to be a Christian and pray with you. For the rest of us, if you wanna stay seated when we stand to sing, you're welcome to do that. If you wanna come to the front of the room and just kneel and pray, and be in the presence of God, you're free to do that. If you wanna go back to one of our prayer rooms or grab a prayer partner and have them pray with you, you're welcome to do that. If you wanna stand and sing, Let's do it as the, as the koinonia. Let's do it as the church. Father, you've spoken to us this morning through your word. Now we ask that you would move in us to respond. Thank you for this beautiful portrait you've painted of the early church. And God, we see in it a beautiful description of what it means to be your bride. God, would you, for each one of us individually, would you continue this amazing work you're doing and calling us to become the church that you want us to become. God, could, could it become less about us and more about you day by day, week by week? Stir in us this deep devotion Father, we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus.